My name's Jackie Goddard and this is Power to Speak, the podcast, where I talk to a mix of creatives, thought leaders, authors, in fact anyone with an interesting and inspiring story to tell. How did they get here? What have they learned? And how can their journey help us mere mortals? In this episode, I talk with Charles Edward Kirk, Hollywood screenwriter and dramatist. We discuss writing blockbusters such as The Fly and Dragonheart, his love of theatre and his vast book collection. Enjoy. Well, welcome to my podcast, The Power to Speak, the podcast, Charles Edward Pogue, dramatist, uh, raconteur and gentleman of leisure. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today. I've got so much that I'd love to talk to you about. So, um, can we start at the yeah. beginning? Sure. I, I know you're in Kentucky at the moment. Is that, right. is that where you started life? I, my people came in with Daniel Boone and, ah. you know, blazed the trails in the state. I mean, there are Pogue cabins not 50 miles from where I am in Lexington here. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of uh, the, the Pogue legacy. And I, I grew up. I mean, I was born in Cincinnati, which is right across the river from Kentucky and, and grew up in Northern Kentucky and went to school here in Lexington at the University of Kentucky. So yeah, I am a Kentucky boy. Wow, wow. Um, and, and so where, when, did, when did the writing bug get you? When did you start writing? You know, I, I think I always wanted to be either a writer or an actor. Um, once I got past the childhood ambitions of, I want to be a cowboy fireman. Uh, and I don't think I ever really wanted to be a fireman. Cowboy, maybe. <laughs> but um, uh, I remember, I mean, some of the earliest stuff I used to do, I used to write stories and draw pictures and, and things like that. And so it was very, very early on um, uh, that that sort of, that bug sort of hit me. I think somewhere, way back then I knew at least the writing aspect of that was, was uh, uh, going to, to, to was, was an ambition. The, the acting, because I was very shy as a young man, it took a while for that to come forward. Yeah, but was it easy enough at school to, to be a writer? Were, were the teachers and, because and, over, over here, creativity in schools is something that they kind of try to put into a corner. And no, I think I was encouraged, particularly very young. Um, I mean, you know, I, I was legendary in the second grade for my, my book reports, of Dr. Seuss, you know, and things like that. Uh, but um, uh, I, I, can't, I can say that I was, I was encouraged. I did, as I got older into high school and things like that, um, you know, they'd say, go write a poem, go write a short story that kind of formality was sort of restricted to me. You know, I wanted to go off and write a novel or something, you know, it was, uh, so, you know, I, I don't think it showed itself to its, to my best advantage at that time. But, you know, again, I, I was not discouraged in any way. The creativity was always kind of encouraged. Yeah, oh, that's great, that's great. So when, when did it um, change from, from writing to drama? I tried out for the um, 
senior class play, Gotham Lee, and said, oh, well, this is pretty easy. Maybe I should do this, you know? <laughs> but, but I think, you know, I, again, it, I had been a movie nut. I, had, I growing up, I probably watched from 12 to 20 movies a week. And this was before VCRs and DVDs and all that. So you, you know, you caught them, you know, if you had to set your alarm at three o'clock for Maltese Falcon to see the Maltese Falcon, you set your alarm to, to watch them too. But um, um, so I, you know, I just, I w immersed myself in that uh, milieu. And, and so the, the yearning was kind of always there. Just yeah. a while for me to get over the the shyness, but I think it, you know, like so many actors, it, it was a thing where oh, you get on stage suddenly, you just bloom, and that comes out, and it's like it's a different part. It's not real life. Suddenly, you're 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 doing something. Uh, you know, this this other creature comes up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and I know. I, I mean, you say yearning. That's that is. I remember having a yearning when I was about fourteen. Yeah. I can remember going to the theater, and uh, I think it was at Elvis. It was about Elvis, the musical. And this just this churning in my stomach that you know I just wanted to wanted uh -huh. to be up there. Is that is that kind of the feeling that you're talking about? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you, 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 yeah. And you know, and, and again, it was watching movies more for me. I mean, I, I got into theater because I wanted to be in movies, and then found out what I really loved was theater. I think more than movies, uh, but it, it just. Um, you know, I loved the stories. I loved the language. I was really, you know, uh, which again, I probably plays to my, my writer part of me. Uh, and just, you know, be able to rattle off dialogue like Humphrey Bogart or, or uh, Ronald Coleman or somebody like that, you know, it was, it was a, a, just a magic thing for me. And I wanted my pencil mustache like, Errol Flynn and uh, yeah, I probably wanted to be Errol Flynn. Right. Go around with a cape and a sword and and uh, swagger, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, it, there's something about acting, isn't there? That's um, it's like playing for adults, you know. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. I mean, it, you know, it, I, it always amazes me that people try to make it this mystical thing, and it is in a, in a way. It, it, it does have its mysticism, but it is basically just pretend, you know, just, yeah. you know, how would you do this? How would you say this if this was a situation you were in? Yeah. And it's, I think sometimes people try to make it harder than it is to, to try and justify it, but it's, uh, you know, it, it has its arduous part, but uh, it's, you know, it's not, it, well, it is magic sometimes. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been working with adults, I suppose, for the last eight, nine years. Um, and, and, you know, just people that want to do some kind of drama or, or work on a play or devise uh -huh. something, you know, and, right. and, you know, two hours in a room once a week and they come out like, you know, they, they find the inner child, they sort of, you know, come out thinking it was sort of some kind of therapy for them. <laughs> there, there are some of them, though, you know, they, get, they step on the stage and suddenly everything that was natural becomes totally unnatural when you go. Yeah. How does that happen? Yeah, that is that is strange. That is a strange thing, and that's I think that's the difference between you know the people that 
uh, go to a drama school and, and study for three years is to uh -huh. get rid of that somehow. Yeah. So did you, did you go to a drama school? Did you? No, I went, I, I, I majored in theater at the University of Kentucky. Now, I started out in communications because I thought I was going to be a writer and, and I didn't really quite know where to take that. And then I met Julianne <laughs> College and like so many people, you know, uh, um, we meet a girl or a boy in, in theater and say, okay, I think I'll try that. But, and finally, I, I mean, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I just said, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue the acting. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'll either, and, and, and no backup. I didn't have a minor or anything. I said, you know, I'm either going to succeed or fail spectacularly. But I was, you know, in those days, you're kind of indestructible. And, or at least I had this sort of sense of invincibility. And I didn't, I, failure really was never an option. Any, anything that really I, I thought about back there, I, I, I was, I felt very comfortable on the stage and, uh, and knew how to take a stage and, uh, uh, you know, and, and kept getting approval through it. So it was, uh, if I had gone to, a, I mean, I was also lucky that I went to a school where it was not a, a big theater school or anything. Uh, because had I done a series of, you know, spear carrying parts, maybe that allure, but I immediately went into, principal parts. I mean, you know, leads and, and, and supporting roles that, you know, had meat on their bones. And, and, and so, you know, I always had something to chew on and yeah. uh, to propel me forward. Yeah. And so that, that then came before the sort of professional writing. So you were an actor before you were a professional. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, somewhere along the line, you know, it was, it's easier to get up stay, on stage and say somebody else's lines than sit down. <laughs> in a lonely room and, and write your own in the discipline uh you know the, the writing has a discipline that, that's uh, not as social and uh not as much fun i mean the toughest part of, of uh, acting is learning the lines and i was a pretty fairly quick study so it never yeah. was a big issue with me yeah so when did it change for you from from the movies to theater when, when I when I went into stage and I, uh, I, I I mean you know because back in my time there were no such thing as film schools really I mean unless you were very rich you could you know there were a few in New York and in LA but uh, it you know film study as a as a career choice and and major in college was not something that was going to happen so if you wanted to be in the movies you went, to, you know, you did that through stage. And so, you know, that's what I did. I, you know, got on the stage and I, I liked, I mean, I, I've, I found out fairly quickly that I am a stage actor. I mean, I like the feedback of the audience. I, I like that, the interplay of, of the actor and the audience. I like the, the whole piece rather than having to you know you do it in bits and pieces and and continuity wise it's you know i like that whole thing of starting out from the get-go and you, and you just uh, move through a piece all, all the I, and i love rehearsal i love the rehearsal room yeah which you don't get a lot uh, of in uh, 
film. Yeah. But it just, I, it, that's sort of where I, I like to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I only did a small amount myself and it was really only fringe stuff, but I loved rehearsing. That for me was the fun of doing yeah. it, finding the characters and just, you know, playing, again, back to playing, playing with, with right. my fellow cast members um, and then getting out there and getting on that journey of just kind of getting lost in that story. And before you know it, you're off at the end. And, yeah, and, and learning how, I mean, you know, and learning how to, to read your audience, how to play, you know, say, okay, we got to pick this up, or we got to move faster, or that's, you know, not going to get a laugh, let's push on through, you know, and just the, that whole thing is just, uh, I really like that. I like the, the control you have as an actor, you know, I mean, uh, um, as opposed to, you don't know what's going to end up on a film uh, of your work, you know, uh, so it's just uh, you are in control of the, that moment when yeah. you're on stage. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's strange because I, I kind of turned away from acting in a way because I didn't feel I had control as an actor. And I kind of came, came more in, uh, into a directing kind of role because I yeah. felt like that way I had, <laughs> I had more control. Well, you know, it's, it's another beast. And yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, Again, it's where your comfort zone is. Kind yeah, yeah. Of. And, and so, yeah, yeah, but I mean, I, I did love being on stage. I did, I did love that interaction. Mm. Yeah, amazing. So I, I did notice, sort of just going through your bits and pieces, that you were on stage with Charlton Heston and Jeremy Brett. Mm-hmm. In, in a Sherlock Holmes. In a Sherlock Holmes. So where, uh, how, how did that happen? And, and when abouts in your career did that occur? Uh, that was sort of my swan song as an actor, right before my writing career took off. Um, but I was I was told that I and another actor who auditioned through an open call uh, for that play were the first two people to break the op the equity open call at the Amundsen Theater, which is the big house or regional house in um, uh, L.A. And uh, I, it was a, the, the director was a guy named Paul Giovanni who had also written a play called The Crucifer of Blood. And uh, he told me, he said, you know, of the uh, 800 actors you see at an open call and of the 150 you call back, only so many have real talent and you have that and, and I'm gonna bust my ass to get you on this stage. And true to his word, he did. Um, and uh, I had a small scene at the end. Of, I understudied a bunch of parts and I had a small scene at the end where I come in and see the giant rat of Sinatra and then faint and it's the <laughs> curtain uh, on the thing. And in Heston and Brett uh, just threw me the scene. It was, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, Jeremy was, uh, as brilliant a Watson as he was a Holmes. I, I was mean, gonna say, I can't imagine him in any other role apart from Sherlock Holmes. Well, he was, I, he, he, he said to me, he said, you know, it's, it, he said, in England, I get all these weight of the empire roles. It's, it's lovely to come here and play Winnie the Pooh, which is exactly <laughs> how I'm playing Watson. <laughs> he, was, he was a wonderful, wonderful uh, person and, and a great, companion. When I was shooting my Sherlock Holmes films, which we'll get to, I hope, later, uh, in England, and he was doing his series at the same time, and, we, and our two companies were suing each other over the very 
confused and complicated rights. And Jeremy and I were going out to dinner. So it was, it was a, a great, uh, great time. Yeah, well, let's let's touch on that then. I mean, obviously, you went you went into screenwriting, and so you've uh -huh. written uh, for the the you wrote the Fly um, mm -hmm. and Psycho Three, and you know many mm -hmm. others, and Dragonheart, which is where right. obviously we we first met because obviously you worked with my father, mm -hmm. uh, Paul Weston. Um, how did that happen? What what was the transition then? How did that work? Well, I had been, I during my acting career, I had been doing what. We have we had a phenomenon over here. I don't know whether it ever played England or not. Called dinner theater, which yeah, is where yeah. people went and had a had dinner and then they watched a show. And usually they were these very tatty comedies or sex farces and things like that. Um, and and I worked in something called Star Dinner Theater, which was uh, it was I was Equity uh, Actors Equity, and uh, they would get either. Um, old movie stars or young up and coming TV stars or old TV stars. And they, they used to say you get them either on the way up or the way down. And um, so I was working a lot and touring out of Dallas. I was living in Dallas um, at the time. And um, you would get on one in one of these shows and tour for six months. It was, it was a great, great uh, thing for actors in the theater. It kept a lot of people employed. Um, but the plays were so bad. So I started writing plays, cranking out mysteries and things like that, uh, which never really went anywhere. Um, but anyway, I went, it, it regenerated that, the, the, uh, the writing bug. And I went out to, when I went out to LA, I went out to LA in a show uh, with Martha Ray, thing called Everybody Loves Oprah, the play that lasted nine days on Broadway and she'd been doing it 13 years in dinner theater. Uh, but I figured, you know, I had gotten to that point where it was time to go to New York or LA. And I, I was going working. So I went uh, and I figured it's better to go working than unemployed. So, so I went out and uh, in this show with her. And as I, as, after that show closed and, you know, start, it was like starting all over again as an actor. Um, and so I sat down and wrote my first screenplay. It got optioned. It was a sword and sorcery screenplay before Conan or any of those things had come out. Um, in fact, the day that, in the meantime, I'd gotten cast in this other show where there was a lot of stuff that went on between that, you know? But, um, uh, um, and the day that, that, that the Crucifer of Blood closed, I got a call from an agent who, through a friend who had who read the script and really liked the script. And she wanted to see the script. And so the script was sent over to her that very day. Well, she took me on as a client. She thought this was going to be a, uh, a big, uh, you know, the, she was gonna have a bidding war going on for this script. Never happened. It did become a great calling card. In the meantime, there was a guy named a producer named Cy Weintraub who had bought, at least he thought he had bought the, the rights to Sherlock Holmes because it's like they were public domain in England and but over here in America they were 
there's still stories under copyright. I, I don't, it's, it's still a muddle. The, the, the estate is a very confused state. Anyway, he bought them from Conan Doyle's last surviving daughter. Um, um, and he was looking for writers. And she, actually she sent me, he was doing a Frankenstein script that needed a rewrite. And she sent me for that. And he needed a quick rewrite. I rewrote this thing in 12 days. And it actually started filming, I think, for a while. And then I don't know what happened, but it stopped and it never got finished. But he, he in the meantime, he had acquired all this Sherlock Holmes stuff and he wanted to do these Sherlock Holmes films. Well, the, the British writers he hired gave him very faithful, but sort of these austere masterpiece theater kind of scripts. Uh, the American writers were kind of giving him Rockford files and a deerstalker cap. And I somehow found the requisite blend of genuine Sherlock Holmes with enough action pumped into him. Because his goal was to sell two-hour movies to American television. So um, I became his go-to guy. And uh, I had written him a an adaptation of Sign of the Four, I guess it was. Um, and he'd gone to England. That was gonna be his opening film. And he had another script. He called me desperate, said, that script has fallen through. I need another script. What can you give me in two weeks? I said, well, I can give you Hound of the Baskervilles because it's basically the, the structure is there, the outline's there, you know? And I, I gave it to him in 12 days. So, Three months later, I was in London, the only place I wanted to be, watching the first two movies I'd ever written get filmed. Uh, not the first two, but pretty pretty near the first two movies. Uh, and um, I mean, we had and we had phenomenal cast. I mean, I had Ian Richardson playing Holmes, and we had you know we had actors like Eleanor Braun and. Uh, Denim Elliott and all the uh, Brian Blessed and uh, uh, Marty Shaw and just it was it was Nikki Nikki Clay it was a wonderful wonderful cast of people um, and uh, you know people names I just heard of reading about um, I, I mean some of them I knew I knew in fact the role that Brian Blessed played was a role that. Um, I needed, you know, I changed a few things because the, the Hound of the Basketballs was so well known. I said, I need more red herrings, I need more suspects. So I created this character. Uh, and every time I kept, as I kept writing, I kept saying, Brian Blessed would be perfect for this. Brian Blessed would be perfect for this. Uh, and I mentioned it to the, the British producer and they got me Brian Blessed. <laughs> it's just over the moon. Um, but anyway, so, you know, I'm at Shepperson's, Shepperton's studio um, uh, shooting these uh, movies. Uh, 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 I mean, it happened, also happened because I have the, the producer had for years, he'd, he'd, he'd um, I'll tell you two stories about him. He, he, he had produced Tarzan, Tarzan movies uh, for years and the Tarzan TV series. Well, when I was a kid, reading books and, and what probably started me collecting books was Tarzan. And so I'd read all the Tarzan books. I'd read all the Sherlock Holmes. Um, 
And, and I knew everything about Sai's Tarzan career, which was flattering for him. But the other thing was he had this huge German shepherd that was his guard dog named Timmy. And Timmy had initially earned his Purina as uh, the, the, the bionic dog in the $6 million man. Series. Oh, gosh. And, well, yeah. and he was now retired and he was size guard dog. Well, and this was a, and as a dog, if you left in the room, he didn't make any fast moves because he was a guard dog. But Sai had been told by the trainer, don't trust anybody the dog doesn't take to because the dog is an excellent judge of character. Well, the dog loved me. I mean, it was <laughs> nuzzling my crotch. And, you know, he, he, he was just a sweetheart with me. So I think that ha helped get me the gig, the Sherlock Holmes gig. But I think mostly it was, I just gave him scripts that, you know, and I sort of, when I was there in London, I mean, the first day I went in on my first jet lag day, uh, he said, these scripts are where we want them to be. You're going to go in with the director of the first film, which was Sign of Horror, with Desmond Davis. Now, Desmond is, uh, he has some changes he wants to talk to you about. We like them. We like these scripts. I mean, so if you don't like any of these changes, you don't have to do them. What a great cachet <laughs> for a beginning writer. I mean, you know, and he didn't get his, his changes. Um, uh, so, I, and that, that's the kind of producer Sai was. Sai had always been, he, his theory was learn as much as you can about the business so that when someone comes up to you and says, we can't do that, you say, yeah, you can, here's how you do it. And this is the lens you use, you know? Uh, and I mean, he made me, go into to editing, take a pad and pencil and go into editing. I said, I don't know anything about editing. He said, it's easy, it's logical, just go in and, you know. And I went in and, you know, wrote down six things and they used four or five of them. Yeah. Uh, I think he was grooming me to be his point man in London as, as sort of a story editor, uh, whatever, uh, because he didn't want to spend all that time in, in London. I'm here in the only place I ever wanted to be going to theater like people go to the movies and yeah. uh, you know uh, so yeah. it was it was, it was a, a dream job for me um, but how, how difficult is it though to to um, deal with changes in your work I mean because that must be that, that must be quite galling if you've spent time writing something that then you hand over to a, a director or producers that suddenly want to change well, I always say I love my work. I hate my job. And my work is me in the page, you know, alone doing what I do. And um, my work is defending it against all the mauling clutches that want to, to, to tear it apart and change it. And it's, it's, it's always been sort of the frustration of, of my career. My career might have been longer had I been more benign about changes and not as aggressive and and uh because you know i spend more time with that script than anybody and i always say you know you're, you're paying me not just as 
a dramatist. You're also paying me for my knowledge of dramaturgy. Yeah. You know, and and I've you know I there have, I've known of story meetings where the writer wasn't in the story meeting. Mm -hmm. How can that be? Or they say, can we change? You, know, you can show them. You know, uh, we want to change this on page 52. I'm going, well, you know, if you change that on page 52, here's what's going to happen to page 65 and to page 78 and to page 97 and your whole third act, you know, uh, it, which will unravel. And you can show them that all the way down the line and they'll still want you to do it, you know. Um, uh, so I, I got to be known as, <laughs> uh, I, I was actually elected to the Writers Guild for a couple of years because I became known as sort of the, the pit bull of writers creative rights. It was my, my one big issue all the time. And, and uh, you know, I just, it, it's like the writer should be an equal product, part of the process. When you go into the room with a producer, the actor, the uh, director, uh, you know, your opinion should have the same weight and same value. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, you know, I always say they forget the script they love. They, you know, they get a great script and they, oh, this is perfect, this is great. Uh, and then in that long process of, of um, page to screen, they start giving bits away. You know? Yeah. This actor wants to change, this producer wants to change. And suddenly, you know, six months to a year later, they're sitting in a screening room going, it was such a great script, what happened to it? <laughs> you know, and you gave away yeah. what you loved about it, you know? I mean, and I've had people say, God, this script is great. And I'm going, then don't change anything. If it's a great script, you don't make changes to it, yeah. you know? I mean, it's that simple. Yeah. And I'm, I'm fairly flexible about, I mean, I, you wouldn't think so. I mean, people, there are those who think I'm difficult about it, but I'm, I'm, you know, tell me your changes, tell me your ideas. Uh, just give me the power to say no about it. Yeah. And that's what, you know, Cy gave me with the Sherlock Holmes films, which is why the Sherlock Holmes films, even though they weren't, you know, big pain films from my beginning films, uh, are still probably my two favorite films uh, because I had power. I had the power to protect my work. Yeah. Uh, which was which was really nice. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm absolutely on your side. I think it's I think it's so wrong not to have the writers more involved than they than they are, especially you know with with films. If I'm if I'm directing anything and you know you have a, somebody turn around and say, oh, can I just change that line? It's like no, that's what was written. The writer has written it for a reason. There's a rhythm. There's you know there's you know especially in theatre there's there's a rhythm yeah. to the language. Exactly, yeah. and, and you know. There, yeah, and I and again, I'm in my films. I you know I was, I'm very dialogue conscious in my films, and there was rhythm all the time. Um, I remember once on Dragonheart when the director came to me and said, "We just had trouble with this line, this line," you know, and suddenly I changed around, and I just caught something. I went and said, "Oh, what you guys were doing was saying the line wrong, and you changed it." back to what it was. That's why the rhythm <laughs> suddenly worked with it, you know. Uh, you know, so it, it, yes, and it, it, it's again, you know, uh, I, I'm delighted with what actors can bring to things and surprises, but you know, try it my way first. Let's, let's, uh, I, and I will say that 
in the theater, on the, unlike film. I have very good relationships with directors and I've never had uh, any kind of creative control problems mm -hmm. I, that I can think of it, with my scripts uh, okay. because um, we're speaking the same language uh, and, and we come from the same heritage. We know the same, we know, I mean, we know the same stuff. It's we know our Shakespeare herbs and yeah. yeah. It's, 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 the film must be a different culture, really. It's uh, and and it's more money. Or, you know, does it come down to money? When well, I think it comes down to money. I think it comes down also to ego. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of a lot of directors just, you know, they want that auteur thing, and and so it's it's, um, uh, they want to claim they're the author of the film, and no single man is the author of the film. I mean, one of the things I used to fight when I was in, 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 on the board of the Guild was the, what we call the vanity credit, which is a film by. No, I mean, it's not, it, you know, there's a lot of hundreds and hundreds of people who made that film, not, you, you know, you weren't the sole, you weren't there feeding the crew and doing the stunts and, yeah. and writing the script, you know, you were just a guy directing. You yeah, know, and and I, that's not to belittle the director's job. The director has a lot of stuff. I mean, people have often asked me, "Why didn't you direct?" And I'd say, you know, I think I'm at times an inspired writer. I don't think I would be as a director. I can I direct some of the films that were done better than some of the directors I had, probably, uh, but self-preservation really isn't an excuse to direct. I think you yeah, really, yeah. it really has to be something you're passionate about, yeah, you're a passionate absolutely. writer. You know? yeah, yeah. So have you, ever, have you ever written anything for yourself to play? I mean, have you ever written anything for yourself as an actor? Not in film. Um, I did, as you, as you may have seen, I, I, I did a um, uh, adaptation of Tartuffe. And it came about that I had already been cast as Orgon. And the director came to me one day, he said, can we have lunch? I don't really like this adaptation I've picked. And I went, oh, thank God, because I didn't like it either. It's an awful adaptation. And so we, we're sitting down there talking about, you know, what, what we're going to do. And I said, well, you know, because of uh, rights and things like that, you just can't cobble different things together. I said, you want me to take a crack at this? which apparently had been his ulterior motive. And I went home and wrote my first scene and had such a great time that, you know, I sent it to him and, and uh, he said, yeah, go, let's go with it. Um, and it was a, it was really kind of a revelation. So that was the only part I actually wrote for myself. And there were many times the actor was cursing the writer and vice versa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So when it came to um, the screenplay, um, screenplay for The Fly and say Dragon, mm -hmm. those those big big movies, huge movies, yeah. uh, were they original or were they adaptations? The The Fly was a was of course a you know it, it was a short story first and then it was a a, a film. The um, and 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 the, the original film follows the short story. Uh, which is he goes into the transmitter and comes out with a big fly's head and the, and the guy's human head is on a little fly, which 
when we looked at the film, you know, I said, well, this is kind of bad science and bad drama. You know, I mean, because suddenly you've got a, an actor with his big fly's head on it that, you know, he has no way to emote and he ends up writing stuff on a chalkboard to communicate. I said, you know, that's, that's kind of, and, and by, by default, the, 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 the movie goes over to his wife's descent into madness as she searches for the tiny human-headed fly. Um, so that's where we came up with the idea of the, you know, just mutate the, gene, the genes and have it be gradual. Yeah. So that was an adaptation, yeah. And then the, the Dragonheart, I had a young director who was originally slated to direct the movie. It was his idea. He said, I've got this movie about a dragon and a knight. I said, I'll do it. Because I'd been dying to do a swashbuckler. Um, and um, he had the heart exchange worked out and the, and the scam where they go to the villages and scam the, you know, team up to, I'll slay the dragon and you'll give me the gold. And I sat down and fleshed out the story and got the whole, you know, we, we, uh, and that's kind of, you know, evolved into two of us fashioning the story together. And then uh, I went off and wrote the script. Yeah. And then how, how do things like that get optioned? You, you mentioned optioned earlier. How does that, how does that work? Well, this was already, this was an option. This was, I don't know, had it been bought or I don't know. But Raffaella De Laurentiis had, was connected to it before I ever came on it. And I think, you know, the, the original director sort of pushed me onto her, which for which I think she was eternally grateful. But, uh, and it, you know, and it, sadly, the young director, they, when they got the script, they felt it was too big a movie for him. And he got relegated to a producing credit. and. Uh, pushed off the film, which is sad because I think he and I saw exactly the same movie, you know, because we started out as collaborators from the beginning, you know. Um, but uh, so it, it was, I mean, I got paid to do that script. So I can't, I don't know whether she already owned the property or what, what the story was there, but it was, it was, it was beyond the option stage that they're paying me a salary to, to go write the yeah. script. It's, I mean, it does sound, it does sound like a minefield though, working on those big budget films, you know, to, to, to bring everybody together and everything together, you know, it's, as you say, maybe it is, it's down to egos, isn't it, in lots of ways. Of well, I mean, this also, it was, took, you know, it's also the tech, technological problems. I mean, originally we we're talking Jim Hansen and puppets, you know, I mean, because um, I think I wrote that script in 1990, it didn't get shot till 1994, and of course CGI had just come in, and and, you know, and there was a, a big problem with that because at the time, because it was fairly new and you had to figure out exactly how many seconds you were gonna see the dragon on screen and how many, you know, seconds he wasn't and blah. You know, so it was a very, because it was such an expensive thing, you had to, you had to budget all that. Um, so it's very complicated. I mean, th there are a lot of reasons a film goes wrong. Um, very often it's ego, very often it's, something else but uh it's it is a a dicey thing and the bigger the the more money in it the more they are afraid of it i mean i remember when um when we had our first meeting with the with the executives 
um, about Dragonheart, and I'd read, written the script, and it, I was already it was already getting buzz. I was meeting people in the halls of Universal that I didn't know that I was talking to, and at that meeting, Tom Pollock, who was president of Universal, burst into the meeting, which is something he never did in these kind of meetings, these kind of creative meetings, and said the first thing out of his mouth was, "Who's Chuck Poe?" And then when the, the day, the very day the script got greenlit, the first thing I heard when everybody else is celebrating was, we're sending the script out to uh, David Kep and Tom Stoppard because we want like 12 more funny lines, a dozen more funny lines or so. <laughs> well, thankfully, Mr. Kep sent the script back and said, you've already got them. <laughs> I don't know why Mr. Stoppard turned it down, but uh, I'm sure he had bigger fish to fry. There probably wasn't enough words. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I stayed on as the writer for better or worse. Uh, yeah. yeah. So did you have to relocate when you were when you were working on on those sort of films? Did you have to uh, go to LA to do that, or were you able to stay in Kentucky? Oh no, I was. I mean, I had moved to LA. And, you know, my film writing career, I was all in LA. Yeah. Yeah, because you've kind of had three stages then, haven't you, of your career? So you were an actor, uh -huh. you were a screenwriter, and now you're a playwright or a dramatist? That's pretty much it, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, if I had it to do over again, I might have kept my mitt in all three or tried to juggle all three at the time. I don't know that you could really, you kind of go with the horse you're riding, you know? And the screenwriting was the horse, but I think I should have at least been in my fallowed times writing plays more or something like that. But the thing is, you it is such an exhaustive thing when you, you write uh, uh, a screenplay like that, and then you, you, know, you, you go through the gauntlet of notes or whatever, and you take care of that. By the time you're through with it, uh, there is, first of all, there's the postnatal depression that you go through. <laughs> and then there's just the exhaustion. And so you have to kind of go out and fill the vessel. So it's very tough sometimes to just jump from one project into another project. You know? So those times when I could have been writing a play or something like that. Yeah. Um, what did you do then in between? I mean, what what did you do for your own sanity to kind of, you know, um, fill those gaps or? or well, I read, usually just refill the vessel, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. you just read stuff and say, oh, and because you, you read, everything you read is like, will this make a movie? You know, it's that sort of thing. And so you're, you're looking at stuff like that. You're, you're trying to find material. You're just uh, trying to amuse yourself and just. Uh, yeah. Is, is that how you've ended up with 5,000 books? No, I started reading, I, again, my reading goes back to Tarzan. And my, my, actually, I owe my movie and my book collecting career to Edgar Rice Burroughs because back when I was about nine years old, every Saturday afternoon, the television would play a Johnny Weissman and Tarzan movie. And I got hooked on these things. And, and then after, the Tarzan movie, they'd show another movie. So it could be any of them, like a Humphrey Bogart movie or an Flynn movie. And I really, that's how I started getting into movies. But then I'd, you know, I'd say, okay, Tarzan, I'm gonna go out and get those books. Or they'd show something like Beau Geste and I'd go out and get that book or, 
or Raymond Chandler, you know, and, and Sherlock Holmes, whatever. I mean, I grew up on the, the Basil Rathbone things, you know. So, uh, and that's, you know, the, the, the movies would introduce me to a book, you know, and the book would take me to another author or, or to another movie maybe sometimes, you know, it just, uh, and it just kept, that's how my literary and cinematic career sort of fed off of each other all my life. Yeah, and I can see that the, the I, I don't want to say comic books because that sounds like derogatory, but on the rack behind you, what, what are those? The rack behind me, are, those are paperbacks and these are pulp, pulp magazines like Weird Tales and Fantastic Fiction. And they have, you know, uh, science fiction, fantasy, a lot of Robert Howard, Conan stuff. Uh, um, and then, you know, back there is, is fiction further, to the uh, over here next to the rack is the theater. The theater is my elevated reading. That's that's a serious reading. I mean, most of most of my stuff is, you know, I read pulpy, popular. It it's somewhere between what I'd say is late nineteenth century to mid twentieth century mystery, adventure, fantasy kind of stuff. I mean, there's everything. There's Edgar Rice Burroughs and. Ryder Haggard, there's Raphael Sabatini, there's uh, Terry Pratchett, uh, wow. you know, it, it, Chandler and Hammett and all that stuff is there. Do you employ a librarian? Huh? Do you employ a librarian? I know where they are. <laughs> I know. You know, the, 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 it, it's it, the, uh, my sorting, cataloging is kind of strange, but you tell me, you know, do you have this? I say, yeah, I do, and I know exactly where to go. It's more or less categorized toward authors, I'd say. Wow, wow! Mm -hmm. I've got, I've got a very small book collection here. Just, I mean, I do have more books, but these are these are my older ones. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I um, you know, I, I will never go to the tablet. I can't. Uh, the idea of reading on a tablet for me, I, I like the smell and feel. And yes. That tactile experience. Here. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what are you doing right now? What's what's on your uh, on your to do list right now? I'm trying to get back into a epic piece of theater that I'm writing. Um, uh, it's like a one of those two day, three hour, you know, six, total six hour epic Nicholas Nickleby kind of things that I'm doing uh, on a mythological subject. Um, because I do have a penchant for writing impossible stuff. I also have a Sherlock Holmes play that I wrote uh, right before uh, COVID locked down everything. And I'm trying to get the wheels, you know, just try, I'm actually trying to get, there are several people interested, but it's, you know, trying to get that into a theater and, and mounted somewhere is what I'd like yeah. to do. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know, during COVID, strangely enough, all this fallow time that I had, I, I really couldn't, couldn't, couldn't write. I just, I just, you know, I sat there and would binge and do odd stuff like that, as opposed to, um, I mean, it was a perfect time to write this epic that I'm trying to write, but I just, eh, uh, not today. Yeah. I think I'll just see what's on Facebook, you know, that sort of thing. But I think everybody has sort of, <clears throat> between the malaise of Donald Trump and COVID, 
yeah, yeah. Uh, America was sort of laid low, I think, for a long yeah. time. Hiding under tables, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> biting, biting fingernails was the, the major pastime. Yeah. So, so coming out of lockdown then, so how, how easy is it, if you finish this epic, would it be then to uh, produce it and, and get it on? I mean, is that- Impossible, is that... impossible, but it's, you know, where I am right now in my career is I'm going back and I had all the, you know, I used to have a wish list under the plexiglass on my desk, uh, which was all these things. And this is one of those projects. It originally started out as a six hour, it's gonna be a six, eight hour mini series. And there were some interested, I mean, I wrote this very early in my career and there was some interest at the time, it never happened. Um, but right now I'm just going down the wish list and writing what I wanna write, the way I wanna write it, if something happens with it, great. If nothing happens with it, maybe it will 50 years after I'm dead, who knows? But it's just stuff I have to get out that I wanna get out and, and, yeah. and do, you know? And, um, but I've had, you know, I, the playwriting has been a, a, a lovely career. I, I really, um, and we've had some success. We've got, had several plays, a couple of plays pub, pub, published. Uh, he says, stuttering like Bobby Pig, but um, and um, in, in several of them, most of them have been produced, except for one or two. Um, so that's it's been a, a a real joy being yeah. able to luxuriate in the language. And, uh, yeah, is there uh, is there anything else you do for your uh, for your own sort of creativity apart from writing? Is there another creative outlet you have, or is it is it sort of writing and reading? Um, it's pretty much. You know, reading and writing. I, you know, it's just the thing. All my, all my hobbies are my career, basically. I mean, I, I used to have some artistic talent uh, that sort of, just sort of went, to, descended into doodling. Basically, <laughs> I used to be able to draw pretty well. Yeah. Um, and I collect. I also. I mean, I collect DVDs. I have. You know, I have a huge film collection too. So, I'm always watching movies. And, and I know you love going to the theater, which is one of the reasons. Theaters, yeah, theater is really a big, big thing for me. Yeah, I mean the the West End, London West End, for you is. Uh, is That's is yeah. I mean, you know, I keep saying we're going to England. We're going to London. We never get out of London because I'm booking theater. You know, we see every time we go, we probably see twelve, thirteen plays. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have to just we'll we'll finish very very soon. I just wanted to. Um, find out whether in the in the US, a bit like over here, whether theater has kind of transferred online. Have you seen have you seen any of that? Um, there, you know, there, there, have, there have been some stuff. I, what I have seen, and I haven't been overwhelmed with. I mean, what I, what kept us alive was the national uh, uh, putting stuff on, yeah. uh, online and finally taking national theater live uh, online. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's just, you know, there were, there was a lot of English theater that was suddenly, they were doing productions. We saw a lot of terrific uh, things from yeah. the National and Hampstead Theater shows and yeah. stuff. And some other I watched stuff. Jane Eyre that the National yeah. did. I watched Jane Eyre. That was very good. And I think I watched The Tempest from the Globe. Uh-huh. So, yeah. But I, I had um, an actor, director, theater company owner on the podcast a, a few episodes ago and she works uh, with a, a group of 
actors out, out of a pub in, in London called the mm -hmm. Revenue Branch doing sort of fringe theatre and they have transferred all of their performances online because they couldn't do anything else really for their own well-being of actually yeah. carrying on doing something creative right, right. Um, and I watched it and they each actor was in their own home in their own rooms yeah um, and they produced this uh, this amazing piece of theatre I thought was it was incredible well some of it's good some of it I mean you know uh, a lot of what I've seen that's done over here is dare I say amateurish, but it's really, it's small theaters. And, and uh, uh, yeah, I want to see, I don't want, <laughs> the last thing I want to see people sitting in their living rooms, you know, <laughs> sort of, but it's, it's not, I want that, I want the illusion. You want to smell the grease paint, yeah. And I, and I, and I, I'm not a great fan of the televised theater, but you know, give me sets, give me costumes. That's yeah. okay. Uh, so. Oh, brilliant. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time today, Chuck. If if people wanted to get in contact, if you wanted to be contacted, or if you want people to find out more about you, where can they go? Obviously, I've put your... Well, I, I would say the, the Pogue Place is the best place there. Uh, I, you know, I'd love for producers to come on and, you know, they can come on and read bits of my plays and, and look at the, the stuff there. I'd like to get some of that stuff done more. And, and uh, uh, so... Yeah, plenty of producers, but anybody who wants to contact me, there is a there is a a, a link to an email so that they can. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. Well, I'll let you get on with your day because here it's uh, six o'clock in the evening. What time is it for you? It'll be one o'clock. Ah, lunchtime. Fabulous. No, well, thank you. I, I hope you got everything you needed. And... Oh, I got, I got more, and I'm sure I've still got questions that I could have, I could have delved into deeper. But I'm aware of your time, so thank you very much. Thank Anna. you. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, then please like or share. If you'd like to receive information on future guests or would like to know more about Power to Speak, then sign up for our newsletter at www.powertospeak.co.uk. I look forward to seeing you next time.